Good morning, afternoon, evening, everybody. We have the legend in the house. Yes, sir. We have been looking for this interview for a long, long time. And finally, we got the man in our studio. So we want to welcome Mr. Ray Sasser. Ray, how are you? I am fine. Thank you very much. And for people that are not from Houston, we're going to learn or let you get into Ray's uh, life and what what he has done through through all these years doing uh, real estate investing in the Houston area. But many people in Houston know and recognize well, his Houston, face. Houston and other areas, because I know Ray's been active in other markets as well. So San Antonio is one of them, and yeah, we're there. We're on our way there right now. We have our uh, we have the largest RIA Real Estate Investor Association in San Antonio, and uh, our main meeting every month is tonight. So we'll be heading there. Yeah. Perfect. So we're gonna get right into it and um, just ask Ray. The first thing that I didn't know, and I've I've, I've heard other interviews uh, uh, that you've done, and I didn't know how long you've been doing real estate. So tell our, our audience, you know, when did you get started with this? I don't look that old at all, do I? No, you're a very young <laughs> young man, and uh, when when I heard, I was like, oh my god, he must have started when he was like in kindergarten. Can I tell you a side story? Yes. The, um, so I'm at CrossFit with all these people 25 and 30 years younger than me, and one of the guys comes over, and he's about 40 years old, and he says, hey, can I do a selfie with you? And I said, sure. And so he holds the thing up to do a selfie, and he says, I just want to send this to my parents and tell them they can be here doing this stuff, too. Oh. <laughs> well, but that's good, because he felt inspired, you know? Yeah. Um, and, and <laughs> it was not a compliment. No, exactly. He's a forty-year-old. No, I think I think that was a compliment. You know, when you think about it, he's like, this guy's badass, man. Look at him. He's out here. You yeah, know. but but he he was a forty-something-year-old saying my parents. So basically, yeah. But my 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 father is fifty-nine. So it's like me telling my you know. You know, you don't have to be old or, or whatever to, he just want to make sure next Anyways, it is what it is. Let's get to real estate. So Ray, so, Ray Sasser. <laughs> so we started our very first property, Audie and I, my brother, um, bought our first property in 1982. In fact, there's a two-story house in Eastwood, which if you're familiar with Houston, Eastwood is a hot, hot area. It's a great, great rental area. It's just all around wonderful area. Y'all know where Eastwood is? I it's, don't. I don't. It's right north of U of H, and okay, there's a yeah. major shortage of housing there. And a lot of these houses were built in the 30s. There, some of them were built as duplexes. So the University of Houston just sucks all the inventory out of the marketplace. Okay. And so students want to rent them. Everybody, you know, it's, it's in the shadow of downtown. Everybody wants that area. And that area's in the last 10 years had an amazing resurgence. So. When we bought that in 82, um, the top half of it was burned off. So that was my very first rehab, which major lesson is don't do major rehabs on your first one. Wait till you get about 10 or 15 of them under your belt. Yeah, I mean, starting off with a burnt house, it's uh, kind of like a challenge, I guess. Yeah, in fact, Audie's wife, my brother, uh, brother's wife, uh, we took her to the house and said, look what we got under contract. And, she cried. <laughs> well, well, I didn't know what happened until later, but Audie, years later, he told me, he said, you know, when she came home that night, she just sat at the dining room table and cried and said, what are you getting us into? <laughs> wow. 
<laughs> so, so before that, where were you born? Ray, are you born and raised in Houston, Texas? Uh, what? I was raised in uh, Corpus Christi. Oh. And then I went into the Coast Guard, and uh, when I got out of the Coast Guard, tried to get a job in Corpus, uh, couldn't, and then moved to Houston, and then went to work for Burroughs for ten years. What do you do in the Coast Guard? Uh, I was an electronic tech, and we did search and rescue and drug enforcement. It was. I, it was an exciting four and a half years of my life. Uh, I got to spend a year in uh, Japan, a year in New York, a year in South Padre Island, uh, a year in California. So that was what was it, the seventies? Yeah, late seventies, I guess. Yeah, some seventy-four to seventy-eight. In fact, um, I had to go on a temporary assignment to be on a two hundred ten-foot cutter going through the Caribbean uh, because at that. Uh, I was an ET-5, and they, the ship couldn't get underway without at least an ET-5 or higher. Okay. And so the guy that normally had that job, he was out on sick leave, so they basically made me go over there and do that four weeks of duty, and we went back and forth in the Caribbean, and then we were after drug runners. Mm -hmm. And so we had helo ops and everything, and just a couple years ago, I thought, you know, that's when uh, that's when the uh, Colombians were really doing their stuff. Running drugs. You know. Yeah, and so that was called Operation Stopgap, and uh, we would do it three or four weeks, and another Coast Guard cutter, and basically when the ships would come up from uh, South America, mm -hmm. we would just track them and follow them. And so our job was to follow those ships, and um, uh, that was called Operation Stopgap, and I looked that up like a couple years ago, and sure enough, it's in Wikipedia, and it's a, that was a Coast Guard special operation getting the Colombians and trying to shut down the drug trade and all that. And so it's and kind that, of that cool. was 40 years ago, and they're still at it. Yeah, it's never going to stop. <laughs> wow. Uh, I can relate, right, because I was in the Navy too, right, and I was stationed down in Ingleside, actually. Oh, cool. On the little minesweepers. Yeah. So I, I know Ingleside very well. Yeah. And, and um, you know, I... We've been mailing to Ingleside for a little while now, and not Ingleside, Corpus area, and hopefully we'll get to pick up some deals here pretty soon. You know, I, I think that, I mean, we're a free country, but it would be wonderful if all kids, you know, 17 to 21, had to spend four years on the service. Mandatory. Yeah. That will, some countries do, like Israel. Right? Singapore is one of them. Yeah, and, and no matter what you do up till 5.30 in the morning, you have to be at muster at 5.30. Uh, right. You have to work all day. You have to be held accountable. You learn a chain of command. You learn discipline. I mean, it's 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 not about invaluable. Idea. You see, so I shouldn't call Ray General Sasser. I, I should call him Admiral Sasser. You see? Yeah, I don't know where that's that's. I think Landon is the one that came up with that stuff. Yeah. So I didn't know. So Landon calls him like General Sasser. Landon told me was, hey man, yeah. here's uh, General Sasser on the phone. The day I ran the meeting, okay, okay. Ray was in San Antonio, and, and he Ray was calling us to give us instructions. So Landon, you know, he's a little, he likes to joke, and he's like, hey, here's General Sasser, go ahead and take instructions. And I was like, I, I was like, okay, what's going on, General Sasser? And he just yeah. went, okay, that was Landon. So <laughs> anyway, it's a little inside joke. We got at the 713. If you guys are in the Houston area, you want to come by the 713, where uh, Ray and Landon have, have this huge meeting. Uh, with free beer, that's probably the most important part of it. And we also give a lot of uh, free yellow letters um, every meeting. Yeah. We do about 500, so great uh, prize. it's a great turnout, man. I, I really like the group. Uh, I feel like every time I go to the 713, it's like, I'm going to go hang out with my buddies. It's, and like, my a family. it's like a family. Yeah. It's really like a family. That's why I see it. 
Um, so let's go back to uh, Ray's uh, so after, early, early days. After the, after the Coast Guard, you went and worked 10 years at Burroughs, right? You said, right. As an electrician? No, I was, uh, uh, I was an electronic technician. Okay. So then I went to work for Burroughs as a, a, a tech, and I primarily worked on mainframes. Okay. And the mainframes were a lot of, it was very challenging because it was very overwhelming. Uh, you know, a mainframe today is a laptop now, but in those days, uh, we had to know everything about how it worked and dissect it and all that stuff. So it's very, very challenging. I got incredible training. Uh, just what a great, I love the job. Okay. But then about five years into it, uh, there's a guy called, um, uh, what's his name? Uh, now I can't think of his name. It's Nothing Down. What was this guy that did Nothing Down? Oh, for uh, uh, Nothing Down Strategies on Buying Real Estate. Yeah. Well, Carton sheets or no? No, help um, come to me. But anyway, it was nothing down. Of course, me and Audie bought that. We paid five hundred dollars for it. Um, that back then, that was a lot of money. Yeah, Robert Allen. Robert, Robert Allen. Robert Allen. Yeah, nothing down. And um, that, yeah, it was a lot of money. We took that, went through that, uh, joined the Rand Group, which was a Robert Allen nothing down group. And uh, every meeting, they would ask people in the audience. They'd say like, "Okay, how many? Who's made the most offers?" You know, and, the, and there were guys that were making five or ten offers, and I'm thinking, man, just to make one offer is pretty amazing. I mean, you got to know where you're going to get the money, you got to know how you're going to fix it up, you got to know what the value is, and like you got to have all these pieces together before you can even make an offer. And there's guys in here making ten or fifteen offers, so very exciting time. So it's a lot different than today, right? Well, <laughs> I don't know. Don't make the offer, figure out the rest later. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's pretty much how we do it. Exactly, that's how I do it at least. If the numbers make sense, you just worry about the details later. Exactly. So would it be safe to say that Audrey was the one that got you into real estate or, you know, because, or, I mean, no. whose, whose idea was it? Mine. I'm the it was your, okay. Body. Yeah, um, y'all know me, I mean. Yeah, yeah, no, that's you, why, you know, Yeah. I don't know, you said something that made me believe that Maybe when he said he paid for it or something, I don't know. Um, no, we were uh, we both had full time jobs, and then uh, we were we were working sixty hours a week, and then we bought that first house, and it took us eight months to do it. We went way over budget. We uh, the market was crashing when we bought it, which we didn't understand. Ray, I don't know. You're telling your story, and I can just put myself on yours, <laughs> but in different time frames. Right. It, uh, well, I think that's just the way it happens. Just a thirty year difference. I mean, mine was in 2007, eight when I bought the first one, but the market had completely imploded and, and tanked. It was uncertain. And I also bought a, a fixer-upper, but it was more than I can chew on because this house was on pier and beam, but it was leaning on, on the ground on the right. side. And it, the whole foundation was gone, and I had to gut it because it, the lady had 60 cats in it. So, I mean, the insulation, everything was bad, and, and he's talking about a, a burn house, he bought that you know, being a, a big major project. I bought something similar. The only difference is I got taken advantage by all the contractors that showed up on that project. I don't know if you... No, it's, we had one, we had our plumbing contractor um, had uh, a guy come out and inspect it. I would happen to see it. The guy signed off on it. He was in a city of Houston car. And then we went and paid him because he signed off on it. That was our deal. Once he, you know, we're a lot smarter now. But once he got the sign off on it, then we paid him. Well, it turns out that that was the city of Houston employee, but it wasn't an inspector. Mm. And so it was somebody he knew. And then when we went to get our occupancy permit, they said, "What about your plumbing inspection?" And 
And I said, I saw the guy do it. And they said, one, one of our guys. And so we had to go through that. You know, so there's wow. a lot of, a lot of, you got to really vet your contractors. I mean, that's what this network's about. You have relationships with people and you, and you say, Dennis, Ricardo, what do you think about this guy? You used him before. Would you mm -hmm. trust him? Because you got no. you got to trust him. No, I know you. You asked me about an electrician a couple of weeks ago, and I said, if you find one, let me know. <laughs> <laughs> so, all right, Ray. So you got in there. You did. How how did that fire damage house come out? Like, what what do you end up doing with it? Well, we were supposed to get uh, permanent financing once we got the construction financing. We used Allied Mercantile Bank, I think. And uh, when it was time, the market had collapsed, so when they went and appraised it, they just felt sorry for us because it no longer met the criteria, right. and they loaned us the money anyway. So we did a 15-year mortgage. We had, we converted it to a three-plex because it well, was that, a project. That's program. nice. That, that, was a, that was a nice, uh, I guess, bank manager. Yeah. Oh, I feel so sorry for you. You know, I'm just going to go ahead and give you the loan anyways. No, the market was collapsing. Yeah. They, they were either going to eat it or... or our credit was good enough that we could take on the loan, but the house wasn't because mm -hmm. it didn't meet their criteria. It was a community bank, and, and that was a lesson too: is build relationships with uh, community banks if yes. you can, because they well, smaller, uh, yeah, smaller banks. Yes, you can know the manager personally, and um, normally they do like a portfolio loan, so they don't have to like follow the strict term rules about you know, you know Fannie Mae and all that. Right because they're holding the loan and the, so we did the um, uh, we did a 15-year mortgage and because we converted it to a triplex we probably had about a $300 a month cash flow above what our cost was and uh, so we held on to it in fact there was a lady there that kept bugging us like I want to rent this I want to rent this and we didn't know enough about really checking people out so we rented to her then when the upstairs got ready we rented that then the garage apartment got ready we rented that well, we sold that property 28 years later, and that lady downstairs was still renting from us. Wow. Yeah, so I had a... I'm she a, paid for your property twice. In much. fact, about 15 years into it, or 18 years into it, we went back over there, and I just happened to be in the area, and something was broke, and the, everything was worn out, and not like wear and tear. Of, mm -hmm. uh, it's they, just out of use, right? Yeah, it's just like from normal use. We. She paid so good it came to it, it. Why replace her? And we asked her to move out for like ten days, and then we sent like four or five guys in there, just rebuild everything, change the countertops, redid the flooring, everything, and um, and then she moved back in. Never stopped paying her rent, um, and then lived there until we sold it. You know, after wow. twenty eight years. Wow! And she wouldn't buy it from you? No. No, she wasn't going to buy. In fact, the next door neighbor uh, was a city council lady. Her and her husband uh, bought the property from us. Okay. So, uh, but a couple things we learned. That, that was such a great We First of all, we had a 15-year mortgage. We had a, approximately 30 years. So, we had a 15-year mortgage. We paid it off. Mm -hmm. So, after we paid it off, then we went and borrowed another 90000 against it because it was free and clear. Mm -hmm. And then we took that 90000 bought other properties. And then we paid it off again, and then we sold it. So, so we paid it off twice. Twice had yeah. cash flow about two fifty to three hundred every month, and uh, so and then of course Eastwood we sold that about two twenty ten twenty eleven. Well, I mean, it was, was getting back up. It was exploding, 
And that was a mistake to sell it when we did. We should have waited to 2015, 2017. Well, but you know, even even you can go 10 more years, Ray, and then you're like, yeah, <laughs> when, I, when I sold it back in 2018, it was a mistake. I should have held on to it until now, because now the value is who knows what, right? I so, sold, I'll tell you, I've changed, Audi's changed. Um, if you can figure out how to buy and hold the right properties, do that. We had a property we bought in Oak Forest in um, Dewberry. It's a 2-1, and what happens on the, the those first streets in a large subdivision like that, they're very large lots, and they're very old houses, so there's a lot of functional obsolescence. So they're 2-1s. Well, nobody wants a 2-1. So we fixed it up. We bought it for like 30, put 15 in it, sold it for 60. Normal. Did you add any bedrooms? No, this is this is 20, 20 years ago. Okay. Well, that that same lot, that same property, that lot is selling for 350,000. The lot is just the lot. That's yeah. Crazy. Yeah. Yeah. And there's a lot because those lots happen to be larger than the rest of the lots in Oak Forest in that front part of Oak Forest. Um, uh, they're building large, large houses on. Yeah. So. Mac mansions. They're knocking it down and building these big houses. And good man. So, so you went and and you became a landlord. Is that is that the strategy you used uh, at the beginning, just to be a landlord and start accumulating yeah. rentals? When and from uh, so from eighty about eighty uh, two to eighty nine, uh, we everything we bought we held on to, just about. And then in nineteen. 90 I went full-time so I bought houses working for five the last five years I worked with boroughs uh, we were buying houses doing that kind of stuff well then I went full-time and then we started flipping a lot more and so I, a lot of it your strategy needs to depend on where you're at but when you come across those dewberries and those eastwoods you've got to figure out how to hold on to them you can't let yeah those because go. you know those are gold mines in the future yeah there and you just gotta do more deals and get and sell the other deals and hold on to those. Figure out which ones are the right ones and uh, hold on to them. Mm -hmm. That's that's very good nugget there because um, some people struggle knowing you know trying to figure out oh, do I want to be a landlord or do I want to just flip houses or and, and that might be the way to determine like you just said you know if the houses in the area that you can almost guarantee very very big appreciation then. Try to hold on to those rights, and um, then everything else that doesn't meet the criteria, just try to sell wholesale or uh, flip and, and get or sold finance. or in finance. Yeah, and and Ray, one thing I want to like touch with you, because I know you're very big in this, and this is something that I want our audience to know. If you're looking for creative financing, Ray is the guy you need to get a hold of because. It's like every time I go to a, one of these networking events and I listen to you talk, I learn a new strategy on how to <laughs> finance. And it doesn't get, I mean, it doesn't end. It's like, oh, so a new strategy, a new strategy, a new strategy. Sometimes so, it goes like this. It's a, yeah, oh, what, I, what I can tell you. What did he say? <laughs> how, you, how can you buy that house? Uh, hold on, Ray. Can you explain can that Can you again? start from the beginning and this time kind of like bring the calculator and show, I mean, how, how did you got to the point where you at, and I know experience has a lot to do with it, but in terms of your education, in terms of, I don't know, networking with other people, what do you do? I mean, how, how do you... Well, uh, yeah, your, your question is, when did you start stepping out of the box? Because uh, that's when you start really developing that, that creative there's financing. A, there's a guy that I 
I still look up to this day. His name's Merv Lowe. And him and I were, uh, we got together and we said, hey, why don't we form a group of people who buy newsletters? Because newsletters were real big. And we'll, we'll form this group and then we'll just trade these newsletters. And Merv and I um, created a group of like 10 guys. And we started with pitching money. And if like three of us were together in a place and we wanted to buy that product or that newsletter, we would all pitch in together. And, and all you needed was three to have a forum. So if the two of you agreed with me and that guy had something over there for sale for $500, we would take, we had the right to pay for the material and charge it against what we call Remo. That instead stood for Real Estate Material Organization. And basically, we just did that. So for 10 to 15 years, we did that. A couple things happened. Everybody in that group, except for the one that died, is still in real estate. That, I mean, think about that. Because mo most people get in real estate. They get out of something. They get out because they don't, they, don't, they don't learn these new ways of doing things or, or variations, just like I saw you're doing Airbnb. You, even if an Airbnb isn't going to work in the future, you've got to being the right person, you got to try it. you got to get deep enough into it to know, like, okay, why didn't it work, or what do I have to change to make it work, or, or can I make this fit with this? So we started doing that, and the people we followed were, um, and I have, like on my phone right now, in my Dropbox, I have, I uh, scanned their newsletters in. I've got all of Jack Miller stuff, which is just absolutely the top of the pile. you got Jimmy Napier, which is that invested debt book that we were just looking at. Um, uh, both those guys, Jack Miller's passed away, but his material, he wrote everything, so his material's out there. Jimmy Napier's still with us, and um, but he's not really out publicly speaking. You got Peter Fortunato, uh, who's just a genius. Uh, Peter Fortunato is one of those guys that's always talking about the deal after the deal. So if you go up there and say, hey, how do I do X deal? When he starts answering you, he's not talking about X deal, he's talking about Y deal. And, you, and so he's setting up X so you can get to Y. And you didn't even know that you asked that question. Mm -hmm. He's just telling you how to do it. So you got Peter Fortunato, you got Walter Wofford, you got um, uh, Dyke Spotifer. These guys are still around. And I, it, I try to go to something they're doing. Each one of them try to go to something they're doing once a year. Peter is out of town, though, right? Yeah, Peter, and from what I understand, you can go there every Wednesday. They meet at, I think it's a McDonald's or maybe a Denny's, and there's 10 or 15 people there, and they call it the uh, Jack Miller something, you know, Hall of Fame or whatever, and it's in tribute to Jack Miller, but Peter's just a genius, and he's, he's just as sharp as he's ever been. He's getting older. He won't be here forever. Um, but you've got to be around people like that, and, you, and when you go to these things, uh, if you're just like with the number of transactions uh, that we have going on that y'all have going on When you go to these things and people are just going through these ideas and they're talking about little uh, Little detail variations and stuff. You say boom. I can do that right there mm -hmm. If I change that right there, it's gonna make it's gonna keep it from a deal I have to sell to a deal I, I can hold on to or to whatever it is, right? And let me ask you this right did you do you ever like because you know you're talking about people that operate in different states. Yeah. Do you ever bring an idea like let's say you're masterminding I don't know somewhere in Alabama? Did you did you bring those ideas to Houston and then maybe sit down with an attorney and say hey can I do this here in Houston or you just go out do it and figure it out? Uh, well, 
I believe you you have to run full speed all the time, and okay. you have to fall down occasionally. But like land trust, when I I went to land trust things like three times, but I could never put it together. I could never like make it happen. It turns out that land trusts are actually really pretty simple. It's just a few moving pieces. I could never figure it out. Then Mark Warda out of Florida is a uh, is he with partners with Jack Shea. Jack Shea is just brilliant on land trusts and he's a real estate investor. Mark Warda's an attorney and a real estate investor. And Mark Warda wrote a book and I took Jack Miller's land trust and Mark Warda's book on land trust and I just put them together and they were very similar anyway because there's just not that many variations. And then I just turned it over to a local attorney and he said, looks good to me. And then I've done lots of partnerships in land trust and those kinds of things. And uh, oftentimes the other partner will want to run it by their attorney, and it it always sells through. There's always one little one or two little thing. My yeah, details. Things. Man. Same with lease options. When they changed the laws and lease options, we were selling a lot. We were buying on lease options, and there's no and the rules with lease options haven't changed for buyers, mm -hmm. but for sellers they've changed. And so we were uh, selling a lot on lease options, and when the rules changed, we had to. Those are opportunities, you know, the figure it out. Yeah. Heresy, her, heresy is when you go against common wisdom and convention. Mm -hmm. That if you want to be a real estate investor, go against common wisdom and convention because those that's the area where the opportunities are. Mm -hmm. If you ask your average person, well, can you sell on lease option? They'll say no. And that just means you have one less competitor out there. So mm -hmm. you just figure out how to do it right. And, and it's definitely something you have to figure out. But to figure out how to do it right, then you have a whole complete uh, opportunity, a whole methodology of you just the market for yourself. Right. And, and, and you can do it right, and uh, there's all those people doing it wrong, and they're just being taken under. You end up buying their houses. I see. So I guess the, the, the answer, or the short answer to a very long <laughs> <laughs> Uh, it's that you just need to network and yeah. network outside of your even your city or your local area you go abroad you find these national people that know a lot more and you try to connect with them and then form these groups and, and learn bounce ideas from you each have other. to in fact I mean are y'all gonna go to Cuba on the cruise for the financial friends that's coming up I didn't know about that. It's coming up, and so we're gonna we're gonna go on it. We're gonna try to go on it. Uh, Jan, if you're listening, make sure you sign up before anybody else does. Uh, <laughs> Wait, but who, it, who's the financial friends? I don't know. Who well, it's uh, Quincy and Walter White. Oh yeah, yeah. No, I mean, Quest IRA, um, yeah. Quest and Trust. Now I don't even know what they're called. Quest so, Trust. Quest so Trust. We went on a cruise, and I sat next to Bob Zachmeyer, and Bob Zachmeyer is out of Tucson, and he's very, very active, just like you are, and. Uh, he said, he said a lot of times, uh, just uh, just one idea you hear, like a lot of times we want private funding, and at the time the interest rates were like 0.2%. And he said, if I pay you, he said, if you go to the grocery store and you get a bag of groceries, and that's uh, 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 the rate of interest, or the amount of interest that a bank will pay you, if I were to give you 35 bags of groceries, for doing business with me instead of the grocery store just giving you one bag, would you do that? And I thought, I like how because that's 7%. So 0.2% is equal to 7%. So as an investor, we can say, look, 
Why would you go to the bank and get one bag of groceries when you can come to our finance company, who we're out there every day buying houses, right, borrowing the money from the banks. They don't know what's going on. We're the ones doing it. And we can give you 35 bags of groceries. Mm -hmm. And that, that idea, that thought, I've never had that. But I heard that from Bob Zachmeyer sitting at a bar on a cruise on one of the financial friends things. And that's what you got to do because if you're out there looking for private investors, you can put it in terms they understand. You know, they don't know the difference between, they may or may not see the significance between 0.2% and 7%, but everybody knows the difference between one bag of groceries and 35 bags yeah, of groceries. Yeah, it's just bring it out to a, a level that they understand, understand and make it very simple. Simple as best. <laughs> yeah. So, but that's why you just hang out with those, the people that go to those, the guys I label, the people that go to those events, they're the guys you, you want to hang out with. Yeah. Right? Just yeah, because they're the ones doing it. They're, they're yeah. actively investing, they're active. It's like uh, it, our event, for instance, for instance, 713. You can tell that a lot of the people that are sitting on, on you know, listening to, to whoever is speaking, they're doing stuff. Right. Right. Because they're, you, you, you can see them that now they got deals on their contract, they're wholesaling. Now they get deals on the contract they're buying for rentals or a flip or... Right. So the group is getting very active. Uh, I, I've been to other networking events where it's only the panelists. They're the ones that... Yeah. The, the, they're the gurus and, and they're the ones that, you know, are making it happen and they're pretty much telling somebody, this is what I did and this is what, what you should be doing. But most of those people are asking so so very basic questions that I think I say, man, what are they doing? They they should go to to like a, I don't know, a real estate one on one class or right. something like that before they come here. <laughs> yeah, uh, well, you know, what's an ARB? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> oh, oh, here we go. Right. So uh, at the seven one three is not that way. Uh, that's why I like that group so much because you can tell that the guys that are on stage. Talking, talking, they're doing, they're doing because they got, they got deals. That's the first, the first thing. thing. When right. we go pitch deals, you're pitching deals, I'm pitching deals, Cyrus pitching deals, Dennis pitching, whoever, they're all pitching deals. And then you get the people that are sitting, watching, get up and go around and talk and pitch their deals. Right. So it's really an inter interactive thing to where all of us are actively working and. You know, in real estate, it's more like hands-on people. It's hands-on. You know, newbies sitting there not knowing anything. That's Which for that. that, that's okay. You know, they got other arms. Like uh, I know you're coming up with a real estate investing, uh, like a three-day seminar. Yeah, that's uh, on the 16th, 17th, 18th, and that's going to be. Uh, it's a three-day, basically from A to Z on real estate investing, and you know we're more buying home. Flipping is necessary, and wholesaling is necessary, so it's going to be a part of the conversation. Sometimes we don't have to do that when we think we do. And a lot of times people think getting money for deals is hard when in reality it's just not that hard. Right, right. So uh, you got that and then you got the 713 wholesale where you show people how to uh, wholesale right. houses and do basic evaluations and things of that nature. Uh, you guys have yeah, a we do that every Saturday and then occasionally, you know that negotiation thing you're about to talk about, we're going to do something, right? It's, I don't know when that's going to be. But we need to put a date on it. Yeah, I, to me, negotiation is my passion. I, um, when you decide that something's really important to you, it, it's like if somebody says it, your ears perk up, you listen to what they have mm -hmm. to say, you see things differently, you see how people are doing stuff, how they're shaping things. And Jimmy Napier was uh, 
one of the greatest negotiators ever. And, and he showed me it was like, you just got to be in the right place at the right time. Figure out how to get in the right place at the right time, and then figure out how to get the right tools. And an example of where he was in the right place at the right time was he would do owner finance. And then he would get the people to prepay the notes. And so now he's he doing something that would be an average yield and create a high yield. Let me ask you a question. Are you touching the, the, the owner financing something? You've been a landlord and you also have some owner finance problems. Yeah. Which one is better? Why? Uh, there, I don't think one's better than the other. I think they, you do them differently. If, if you're beginning, you're... Now, I'm not beginning. So, no, 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 no. So I'm not in the situation where somebody is beginning. Somebody that's beginning, uh, they're going to have to do wholesale. They may have to do some flip. Uh, it's hard on rentals. It's hard to make a cash flow. Um, if you're, if you have a full, for example, let's say you have a full-time job. We had a student who had a full-time job, and we were able to make the deals fully amortizing in 10 years. He's 27 years old. If you can make them fully amortizing in 10 years, that meant all he had to do was like one deal a month or one deal a quarter. When he was 36 years old, he'd never have to, nobody in his family would ever have to ever work again. Yeah, because he has so many houses that are paid for free and clear. And then he doesn't, um, and then he lived on his income for that period. So if you, his situation was that now, if you're, if you got a, it's very hard if you've got a family and you got kids, then, I mean, you're going to have to flip. You're going to have to flip. You're going to have to wholesale. Now, there's ways to wholesale and flip without giving the back end up. And that's the key. What's happening now is most wholesalers will give the back end of the deal up. There's no need to do that. And what do you call the back end? Can you explain that? Well, uh, if if I buy, if you're the wholesaler uh, and I'm buying from you, you're going to get the front end. You're going to get the money up front, five mm -hmm. or 10000 or whatever the number is. Um, I'm hoping to make money because just like that first house I had, the tenant's going to pay it off. I'm going to be able to make a spread between the cost of my interest and either what I own or finance it out at or, or whatever I rent it out at. I want to make that spread. As the value goes up, I get all the back and everything. Well, if you're the wholesaler, why would you do that? Why not say, hey, I'm going to bring the deal to you. I'm going to, I'm going to really be your machine. I'm going to be your engine. You've got the funding, you've got the property management assets in place, you know how to do that part of it. How, what can I have on the back part of that deal? Can I be like a JV with you? Equity, appreciation. Absolutely, and why, if, would you as a buyer, and you're gonna do a buy and hold, would you not give that person that, that, no, that money if he brought you deals that, that met your criteria? No problems, because you're probably gonna get a discount on the assignment. Right. And his, in terms, you're going to exchange it for some equity on the back end. So, right. See, guys, this is what I'm talking about when Mr. Ray talks <laughs> and brings all these things that you have never even thought about. But he's a very, very knowledgeable person. Yeah. Not only not only creative financing and doing all these weird, you know, things. I call it weird. It's just things that are not, you know, your cup of tea or day-to-day -day transactions. These are like way creative and the other thing is that Mr. Ray knows everything about Houston so if you're going to be doing anything in the Houston area I've heard stories about neighborhoods about things that happen in Houston that you know not being a, a, a local guy I find interesting and it's kind of like you know when you sit down in front of like the history channel and, and <laughs> I love it you know and, and just listening to Ray's, all the stories because Ray has gone through different cycles right so 
went and bought his first property, became a landlord, and then he went through ups and downs in the in, in the cycle of the industry, not not necessarily personally, but right. in the industry. So you've seen what's happened when the prices go up and then they come back down a little bit and then they go back up. And then you've seen when laws changes. And the uh, hurricanes and all of that stuff. So when when you associate yourself with somebody that's gone through so much um, in one specific city, you can automatically attach yourself to that knowledge if you ask the right questions. Um, because it, all I have to do is ask you a couple of questions and you've told us a bunch already and now all you gotta do is go back, listen to this again or, or, or watch it and reflect on what Ray is saying because maybe the way you're doing business, that it doesn't necessarily mean it's the right way or, or the best way or, but the, only the, way. or the only way. It, it might be different other ways that you can skin the cat. Uh, and that's what I get from from the front end and the back end. Uh, and that you know that's a basic tenet of negotiations. The person with the most options make the best deals. I so, love it. So figure out how the person you can with more the options most up. options. Yeah. Okay. It makes sense. I love it. So now Dennis and I were were talking about uh, a property we're buying this morning, right. and um, we're brainstorming. We're, I mean, we got a slam dunk in our hands, okay? Right. And he's trying to figure out. What's the best way? And I said, like, look, you know, the best way is that you got different options. So let's just close on it first, right? And then we'll move on to the next phase. That you know, that's a lot of times people, if the numbers make sense, go full speed. We've got, uh, uh, we're signing a contract tomorrow for an office building in Kansas, and the uh, um, the numbers are just too good. And, and now I'm going to sign a contract. I'm going to lock it up. I'm going to go do my due diligence then, and I really work hard on my due diligence. But the deal's good enough, so just lock it up. I don't know the best exit strategy. I don't know who's going to be staying there. I don't know what the rents need to be. But the, if you just look at a basic cap rate, you can find out that you can't lose. I, that property's worth a million and a half, and it's in good shape, and I can buy it for one third of that. I'd be crazy. I'll take it all day long too. Right. I'll probably move my office there and just work out. You know what I mean? It's cheaper to operate out of Kansas. Uh, too cold. No, nothing. Nothing against people from Kansas. Just right in the middle of the, it's, it's in the middle of the country. You can you can have a master office in Kansas and and work all your different markets. It's within from, you know it's within a hundred miles of five state borders. That's right. It's called the five state area. Wow. I didn't know there was such a thing. No. Yeah, good. Good. No, That's good there. to know. So, Ray, how many deals have you been a part of uh, altogether in, in your in real estate investing career? Well, you know, we're mostly buy and hold. We're not flip. I mean, we do do flip. And I've done lots of rehab. We've never stopped rehabbing. Okay. We always have two or three rehabs going on every day. Okay. Uh, I, and just as a guess, I'd say I've probably been involved in like a thousand rehabs. Okay. As buy and hold, or buy and do something with or sell and do something with. I don't know how they count that, but it's probably somewhere between 300 and 500 transactions. Okay, that's pretty good. Um, and a lot, of, a lot of those properties, you're still holding them, right? Some of them, yeah. We, we're holding maybe, well, I won't say, but we're holding quite a few. Okay, and are you turning some of those rentals into owner financing? Yes. In fact, um, Audie and I are like kind of changing in our life and uh, all our properties we're trying to convert to owner Right, less headaches, you know, right. you just cash flow on the node. Yeah. Um, you've already milked them for a little while, so 
why not let somebody else now take that property and move forward? What's real exciting though, you know, like we have a property in Galveston and we have one in Kima, and like that area has changed, you know, Galveston, they were giving properties away and now they're, they're very, very valuable. Kima, a property we have in Kima basically encircled our house. Kima encircled our house. It's like, man, that's, I don't ever want to let that go. It's going up in value faster than, than anything. So it's kind of neat to kind of hold on to things for a while, especially shoot for the properties in the path of progress. I mean, where you guys are working and where we're at right now, it's in the path of progress. Yeah. So you're crazy for not being an expert in this area. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we got a lot of properties in the path of progress uh, mm -hmm. that we Right. We're rehabbing. We'll right just now. have to wait 40 years. <laughs> hey, but guess what? You'll be 40 years later, and you'll say, "Man, I wish I'd have held on to more of those things." Yeah, I, I know. I, I was talking to Ricardo exactly about that last week, and we, I was like, "We love keeping all." Okay. The thing is, you get into a cash flow situation where right. you need cash, and what do you do? You have to dispose of them. So you right. gotta have the wholesaling. You gotta have the flipping. Right. And you gotta have the the the, the holds. Let's talk about that one second with that rate. Rate, what has been the most difficult thing in your business these 30 something years, almost 40 years that you've been doing it? Why don't you say it's difficult times? Something that things, say, things got ugly. I don't want to go through that again. <coughs> well, when we started mine in 82 and then we really got cranked up in 87, 88, that was like the worst of times, but we didn't know that. So it didn't even affect us. And we didn't have any assets. In 2007, I remember reading the thing that says, uh, on the Houston Chronicle, it said subprime market meltdown. And I thought, oh, I wonder what that is. Well, at the time, Audie and I had four houses for sale, I think. Two of them we ended up absorbing. One of them we ended up owner financing. Another one we flipped. So our plans were just changed literally overnight. And uh, our net worth, went down as a result of that. I mean, the, right. you looked at the values, but the thing that saved us was that the rents never changed. Mm -hmm. And so we were a lot Actually, of- Actually, in some cases, they went up. Yeah, so a lot of what we were doing were um, sub-twos, and the sub-twos, our costs were fixed, our equity was changing, but our income was staying the same. So in that regard, that was, that was pretty good. But, Basically, all the money was taken off the street almost overnight, and so that was. And then all, also, uh, the way they were figuring out taxes, the tax values lag by two or three years. They lag the real values, so now you're having more pressure. You know, the taxes aren't going down just because the values are going down. And so I was like, a lot of, almost all the wholesalers were washed out of business. Almost all the flippers were washed out. Almost all the builders were washed out. And so and. We've never, that's never been like the, all we did. And so I would say, it, be diversified. You're already in the business where you're getting opportunities and leads. You just go after things that you can figure out how to hold on to, that you have equity. Um, if you have a house that has a lot of equity, if you have to turn around, that's a bank account. If you have to turn around and sell it at a big discount, but because it has that equity, you're still in business. I, I did that actually not long ago. Um, I had a house that the loan was due, and I had maybe 40, 50 grand in equity, and um, I had somebody looking for a rental property that was already cash flow. And right. I said, oh, I got one. Right. And then yeah. I just handed it over, the loan was paid for, my investor was happy, you know, I returned their money, 
right. I kept I, I we kept a little bit of money for operations. Right. And that's it. My my and the friend that bought the property was happy because he now got something that's cash flowing and it's in good shape. Yeah. So it was a win-win situation all all over around. If I could have held on to the property, yeah, my net worth would have been a little higher because that equity pretty much I had to give up equity to move the deal quick. Right. But at the end of the day, it served its purpose. So I do see them as, as a cash account as, as well. If, if things get to where you need to put money out of somewhere, you either refinance it or you sell it or, or you do something with it. But assets are uh, 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 the best way to bring uh, some other income. So The other thing, a couple more things, Dennis. One is about your infrastructure, and another one is about um, if, a, if you the danger to me is if you're wholesaling and flipping and you put thirty or fifty thousand dollars in the bank, it, there always seems to be a way to spend that money. Absolutely, we where, where if it's in a house, <laughs> if it's in a house and you're not borrowing against that house, borrowing the house, your return on equity may not be real high, but it's your equity is continuing to grow. So I like the idea of the buy and hold is like a forced savings plan. Yes, and and you you know we all have partners. And your partners may think differently about money in the bank than we do. And it's like once it gets into once the cash gets into the bank, it's like you can't control it like you could if it's sitting in the house. And the, and the infrastructure question, or the the other thing that's been a struggle. But I've always been lucky is because my brother and his wife and my wife we were partners, and mm -hmm. I just I couldn't ask for. I was just lucky to have partners like that. And I've had partners over the years occasionally. If they're bad partnerships, get out of them. If the if that person will steal from it, if he will lie or steal, if he if he complains or or bitches at at how other partners have treated him, or um, or he doesn't, you know, if that contractor comes and says, "Oh, I got jobs left over from my, I got material left over from my previous job," that you don't want that guy as your partner because they're stealing from the from the previous partners. Get good ethical people who would go out of their way to do the right thing mm -hmm. and then those people they're lifetime partners they're always there when you need them and i was just blessed to have that with my brother and his wife so i guess the, through all these years you know you have run your operations with those three partners which is our family as well have you ever had like a big office with you know employees no. And, no we had we had an office on east tax freeway for about 10 years from 93 well maybe 12 14. 93 did like 2005, 2006, um, and uh, we use that because we were managing all our houses out there. We we're doing some management for other people, like friends. And, I mean, we weren't active, yeah. but um, yeah, that was right there at Aldi Melrod and uh, East Texas Freeway. We ran everything out of there for those amount of years. I, so you had a property management company yeah. for a little while. Yeah. So yeah, we got really you know we did lots of property management because we have lots of rentals. We did. Um, a lot of rehabs because that's how we started and then all through the 90s we did nothing but fire damage and then we got mold certification in the 90s because there was a lot of mold going on in the firehouses after they flooded and then all of a sudden we got a reputation for buying flood houses and so we bought flood houses after Allison and Ike and Harvey um, you know but we get a lot more selective and picking on what properties we buy okay that's that's good to know we bought a lot of houses after Harvey Everybody did, I think. Yeah, and uh, but yeah, there's still there's still a lot of houses out there that um, you know, a guy called me yesterday, or we talked to a guy yesterday, and he wants one hundred twenty-eight thousand dollars for a hundred and seventy-eight thousand dollar house that's not been fixed up. 
And that flooded what twice probably? No, he said it only flooded once, but the neighborhood's flooded twice. I see. Yeah. So, so it's like, okay, this, the numbers aren't good enough. Where, where, do you, where do you see the, the market going in Houston? Now, let's talk, talk you know, local. Because, um, I don't know, it's kind of like, you know, weird area right now. Yeah, we, we, for, on our case, Ray, we've been experiencing, uh, we finish a house in Houston spring you know right the houston metro area and the houses are sitting a lot longer on the market than they they were before um, and we've also experienced that uh, our buyers our first-time home buyers are they get scared fairly easy from from the inspector right. and so we're having houses that have been on the contract two three times in and out of contract and now we're like, man, what's going on here? Because it's not just us. It's, we've seen other investors as well go through the same problems. I talked to a guy yesterday. He said, Ricardo, I got seven houses on the market. They're not moving. Right. Um, and they don't do the houses because our bulk of our business rate is out of Houston. We're, you know, right. Freeport, Sweeney, West Columbia. Uh, we go Conroe or over there, all, all, all over in, you know, on Alaska. You know, we go to areas where people are like, oh, that's too far. I don't want to drive out there. Believe it or not, those areas don't behave the same way. Right. But in Houston, where everybody wants a house to flip or to rent or something, something is happening right now. So what, what's your opinion on, on what's going on? That, well, y'all don't know it, but uh, that's actually a setup question because Jacob and Landon have decided that for the upcoming meeting, and uh, I'm going to be doing a market report. And oh. <laughs> I've been doing a market report every year okay. for the last six or seven years, and I don't like doing it because it takes about 20 hours of work. Right. Um, but so this uh, this when is our next meeting? Next Wednesday, I think. Yes, the 14th. Yeah. I believe. Yeah. So that is going to be. We're going to do, we're bringing the lady that came in and talked to us at Houston Real Deal. She's a CPA and she knows, she's an expert on the tax law changes. I, I know her. Okay. And she's going to, she came and talked to us before, smartest person I've ever listened to on this subject. She, and these are federal tax laws. She's going to, she's going to be at the, that meeting and she's going to talk about that. And now that a lot of her investor clients and stuff are, are kind of, getting up to speed on the new tax laws and how they're going to implement, how they're going to buy and sell. She's going to be there at the meeting, this upcoming meeting. And then after her, I'm going to do a market report. And then okay. the market report, we're just going to, and if y'all guys have like five or 10 neighborhoods that, that you're really interested in, send them to me. One of the market reports we did in 2009, we took all, not all, but half of them, about half of the 1,775 neighborhoods in Houston and area and then we looked at what was happening in the last four or five years for those areas. So if y'all guys have some neighborhoods that you want me to, to mm -hmm. drill down on, I'll probably pick like five to ten neighborhoods. I want them to be kind of representative of, of different bands right. because different price ranges behave differently yeah, in correct. different markets. So, uh, But we'll be doing a market report. We'll be looking at the amount of days of uh, days on market. We'll be looking at months of inventory. We'll be looking at where the uh, you know, like the $500,000 range houses were terrible right after the oil crash. Uh, uh, but oh, yeah. now, now it's the hottest market segment. I don't know if it's still the hottest market. I haven't been able to sell oh, my house. So. <laughs> <laughs> well, anyway, so we're going to look at that. And if y'all guys got some input on subdivisions, I'll, I want to include a few of it. That's not going to be the main thing in the market report. But that's what we're going to do because 2019 is coming up.
So now we know what we've done in 2018. Now we want to say, look, where where do we want to spend our time and energy? And it's now, it's now is the time to think about what we want to do. And by the way, this is a hot for investors. This is the hottest time of the year for investors to be buying houses. So we we want to make sure we're not going to buy the wrong houses. All right, correct. Well, why why is it? I mean, I, I didn't know that. So November, December. Yeah, January. Several bad things happen. You know, people have inventory they want to get rid of. It's not, they, they're getting their tax bills right now. I mean, this is the time to be doing direct mail because if people are getting their tax bills and their brother-in-law lives in the house and they're paying the taxes. So, you know, like, okay, we've got to solve this problem. I see. You know, whatever the reason, but, and then a lot of people are sitting on inventory it's not performing or they need to get rid of inventory. Uh, so they're cleaning up their messes. So we can safely say that summer is the hot time for retail yeah. market in real estate, but then winter is the hottest, you know, uh, time period for investors and people who are looking for good deals. And it's, it's yeah. true because we picked up a lot of properties last year in between November and December. I mean, we well, we, yeah, but Harvey helped with that too. Because well, yeah, Harvey kind of screws everything up because it it just throws the numbers, but. If you go back year over year, you look at the if you look at a graph, it's like a wave. And in the summertime, the values are the highest, and the inventory is the lowest. In the wintertime, uh, around Christmas, the prices are the lowest, and the, uh, the inventory, inventory is the highest. Yeah. So, well, it's not the highest relative to the number of houses for sale. I mean, mm -hmm. some are still higher, but not relative to the uh, uh, number of houses selling compared to the houses available for sale. There's a there's another thing called a hotness ratio we'll talk about. We always look at that. A hotness ratio tells you how fast inventory is being, cons um, uh, being consumed, available inventory is being consumed mm -hmm. in the neighborhood. So, like, we don't even, we, we'll look at a subdivision, and if it doesn't have a hotness ratio of, like, 50%, we won't even buy in there. Because that tells us we're going to have a hell of a time selling it when it's time to sell. And it tells you there's a problem. But you don't know what it is. I mean, you may know what it is, but there's a problem. Yeah. You know, it, it's up to you to figure out what the problem is. I get it. You just probably just dispose that lead somewhere, some, some, you know, wholesale it or do something else with it. Right. That, and that's exactly. If you like, say, it needs forty thousand dollar rehab. Do you want to rehab it and maybe make fifty thousand, or do you want to flip it and maybe make twenty or thirty thousand? If it's if you're gonna have trouble moving it, and the, and the risk of holding it is high like personal liability versus, say, a 72, um, if the risk of holding is high, then you say, okay, this is not a hold problem. This is, let's, let's just kind of make less money, get out of it faster, and be on, move on. Right. So, I'll get my question answered next week. I'll have to wait. <laughs> but no, that's good. I mean, now, okay. now it's like more reasons to go to that meeting next week. Um, and, and, and like Ricardo was saying, just follow the 713 uh, re, um, Facebook, right? I believe uh, you, know, you can find out more about their meetings yeah, and topics. Yeah, we have uh, the 713 Real Estate Investor Network. Uh, uh, the moderator is Landon. And they have like, uh, I think it's like 26,000 members or something like that in there. So go ahead and find it and click on it. Even if you're out of state, uh, you know, uh, there's a lot of knowledge. Yeah, there's a lot of knowledge going on in the group. A lot of people, you know, interacting and sharing ideas and asking questions and answering answers and all those things. So, um, with that being said, ladies and gents, this was a long one today. It was a we pleasure. Really appreciate you being here, right? I know that 
you stop by because you're on your way to San Antonio and we're kind of like the west side of town. <laughs> Actually, he, he told me, I said, Ricardo, you're going to make me go to Rosenberg, man. I'm taking I-10. I was like, great, it's about 15 minutes to I-10, so you'll be fine. I said, okay, I'll go there. No, so, but I, we want to thank you so much for being here. Uh, it's, it's, you know, we're fortunate to be able to interview someone with so much knowledge, with uh, so much experience. Uh, and we're going to keep learning from this man. You should, too. So just um, stay tuned, uh, make sure you share and like this program and... Uh, yeah, hit like, subscribe, YouTube channel, uh, turn on the notification button, um, go ahead and renovate enrichesradio.com, leave a review. We will be having an educational tab on it, so go ahead and make sure you check it out. We are going about, we're about to release a ton of good information for our audience on many different aspects of real estate. Uh, and maybe also self-development. So that being said, thank you so much for being there, for listening to us, and you guys have a blessed day. Bye, everyone.